Hello and welcome to the podcast. My name is Chelsea and my aim is to help rewire the mindset, lifestyle and nutrition of women who are looking to lose weight and actually want to keep it off for good so they don't have to yo-yo diet, so they don't have to do low-carb diets and so they can finally find a bloody approach that works for them that they can stick to for the rest of their life. I've actually created a free course called Five Steps to Losing Your Next 5 KGs. Now this course is to help simplify weight loss for women, but to also give you a bit of an idea of where you can get started and an insight into the Evolve in 6 program. If you would like access to this course, then just click the link in the show notes below, but I hope you enjoy this episode. Awesome. Cool. All right. So today I have Robbie on the podcast um, and we're actually going to be chatting about mobility, pain, long-term injury. And I actually wanted to ask you like a lot about kind of the mindset side of things, because I've checked out like your Instagram um, and a few of the things that you kind of chat about around the mindset and the narrative that people continue to tell themselves when they have pain or injury. Um, I'm like such a big like mindset type of person. So it'd be interesting to see, I guess, like your take on it um, and like your thoughts around it and all that jazz. So did you want to like just introduce yourself, how you got into your specialty and we'll go from there? Perfect, perfect. Thank you so much for having me on, first off. Um, so I guess my name is Robbie Cassidy. I run the Mobility Tutor on Instagram. I have a podcast called Rebalanced. And basically the focus of my my entire business is around chronic injuries. Um, I'm a physiotherapist um, and an athletic rehabilitation therapist in my undergrad. And I started on a path of kind of getting into sports, staying in sports. And I was finding that a lot of people were getting injuries, but the injuries are sticking around a lot longer. And then as people got older, they started to kind of get connected. They had this identity around the injury and what the injury, what they kind of felt it was. And they'd been given lots of different diagnoses, but they never really got to fix it. And it started off with people with like knee pain, hip pain. And then a lot of my focus now is around people with back pain and recurring back pain and chronic back pain. And I think the, the, the thing is that when you get these type of injuries, obviously at the start, the structural side of things needs to heal up. But there's also an emotional aspect to it that a lot of people don't consider and they don't think about. Uh, and I think that was of, often over, like, overlooked by a lot of physios uh, and especially doctors, physios together, where they were getting, they were jumping between one and the other. They were going to the doctor to get painkillers. The doctor would send them on around the physio. They would get the same exercises over and over again. And then they'd come back. And then it might calm down and two months later it would kick back up again. It got to the point that a lot of people that I'm working with just got fed up with it and stopped playing sport and stop doing any activity at all um, and when it gets to that point you have to look at because most injuries will heal within let's say three to six months the mm-hmm. physical side of things but you can still get a lot of pain after that so when it gets to that point you have to look at as I was saying the emotional how the nervous system reacts to it and how I guess how the 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 mindset around what they've kind of the limits they put on themselves and you have to kind of break those break those barriers so that's a really, really quick introduction into what I do um, and how I do it, I guess. So, yeah, a lot of people just come to me with, with repeated injuries and um, it led me down this path. So it was kind of a natural progression through it. Sweet. How, so how come did you go to uni and do a, a degree or kind of how did you get started and what made you want to go into this particular area? Yeah, so I, my undergrad was in um, aesthetic rehabilitation therapy. Um, that was I, I studied that in, in college in Ireland. Um, and then afterwards, uh, I took a year out. Uh, I went to the States for a small while. I came back uh, and then I studied. I did my master's in physio after that. Uh, so it was interesting because it was two real like the undergrad. It was obviously more focused in sport. And then the master's was more focused in 
overall physio because physio has different aspects to it. Obviously, you have hospital physio, you have you've uh, pediatric physio, you've respiratory physio, cardiovascular, there's a lot more in it. And it was when I got into the masters, I had a good kind of background in the anatomy and, and, and fixing like acute injuries, things that if someone went out and they sprained an ankle or if they hurt their knee, I had a good experience with that. But when I went into the other side of it, or when I went into the, the, into the physiotherapy course, there was a lot more of a focus on this idea of the biopsychosocial model and how the biological can be affected by the psychological and how that can be affected by your social, which a lot of people don't even consider is how much of an effect that your environment has on your health as opposed to just your the biological. So a lot of people think, or a lot of people will think that um, I, I'm getting knee pain. Let's say it's kind of come out of nowhere. They don't really understand where it's come and it just feels like they may have injured a knee. But when you look at their lifestyle at the time, they could have increased their walking say just had a, had a spike in activity one day but then as a result of that there was also they were, could have had conflict at work they could be fighting with someone they could be really stressed or they could be sleeping really poorly and as a result then that's causing the knee pain to kick up so on a normal day it might be a one out of ten pain but because you have all these other factors in the background it becomes like an eight or nine out of ten so that was a real difference between the undergrad and the masters is looking at what was driving pain and like what mm-hmm. really actually contributed to the pain that people were feeling because yeah, it was there was a lot more than the physical aspect of it. I know this is going to sound like a weird question. So obviously, I'm a coach. I, I coach people in pe- uh, in person and online. And you know, I'll be honest. If someone has like a niggle, um, like I have a client who has suddenly got knee pain. Um, she doesn't really know why. Of course, she's she's not done anything about it. Um, and I got no clue. And I, I of course, I'm like, okay, well, why don't you go see a physio? But I'll be honest, I don't really know, like, what the phys- – like, is the physio supposed to cure the problem or fix the problem? Like, I know that sounds – I don't know if that sounds like a really stupid question, but the answer when someone has an ego, I'm like, okay, go see a physio because i got no clue. But I don't really know what they're th- – th- like, they do underlyingly. Yes, okay, yeah, that's a good question. So it is really when, when people go to – and I think that's actually – that's well phrased uh, because it kind of backs up to what I'm what I, what I can talk about is that when people go to physio oftentimes or when they go to a doctor they're looking to be fixed they want to be fixed like they want to get rid of this pain or injury but they they forget that it's themselves that have to kind of correct everything the physio can only do so much there's certain strategies that you can use to numb someone's pain in the short term like massage like tens like dry needling they'll get rid of pain for maybe 12 hours but it doesn't fix the injury so oftentimes when you go to physio and they do these these kind of these short-term strategies or they give you these short-term strategies, when you finish up then, you have to continue and do the exercises and you have to take care of everything else. You have to do the foundational stuff, which is like getting your sleep right, improving your hydration, all the normal stuff that you would, you would expect. And people don't do that. People often go to physio, they get the short-term fix and then they stop and they just wait till the next one. And then they're six or eight physio sessions deep and they're on heavy painkillers and then they don't really realize that there was like that they actually haven't built on the foundation at all their sleep is still shite sorry i shouldn't guess their sleep is still bad their oh, I, hydration I swear all the time go for it <laughs> <laughs> their sleep is still bad i say the hydration they haven't they haven't picked it up at all their diet is off uh, their stress is all over the place their routine is all over the place and they haven't done any of the exercises and then when they go back into the physio the physio say have you done those exercises and i don't know anyone that's listened to this how often has the physio said that to you and you've said which one or they say yeah yeah i do them all the time and then the physio will say mm-hmm. okay show me and they'll be like okay no i don't i have no idea i can't remember what they were so it is the physio it doesn't it, it you shouldn't be going in with the mindset of of 
that it'll fix you. The physio is there to educate you and to teach you and to kind of guide you along the path, but you still need to really focus on the work yourself. And I think that's what a lot of people miss out on in, in today's society is that taking the responsibility for their own health, where it's like, okay, you can, you can use like, like myself when I'm working with people, you can half thing that I do is accountability. And I'm sure it's the same with yourself. Once you point someone in the right direction, it's, it's accountability about keeping someone on the right path and making sure that they're taking all the right boxes and making sure they're doing everything right. Once they have a basic idea of what to do right. And then if you need to tweak along the way, 100%, that's obviously where, where the experts come in, but you still need to do everything. You know, you can't just expect someone else to, <laughs> to fix it. I get that. And to be fair, like in my mind before this conversation, I probably was, I would recommend a physio thinking that they would fix the issue. Um, but like you said, no matter who I speak to, if they've gone to physios, their kind of outtake is they feel like they've spent a lot of money on physios and they haven't got anywhere but at the end of the day when you ask them like you said have you been doing the exercises or the you know taking on the recommendations that they've given you they'll say oh no you know it's a bit tedious I don't have time and it's like well it's a bit like like I work with women to coach them through fat loss and they'll come to me for guidance and I'll support them and give them all the right info but at the end of the day I don't I don't do the work for them I can't help you lose like physically help you lose weight like I'll give you all the tools you need um, and you know the accountability side but unless you actually do those things you will never get anywhere and I'm quite glad that we're having this conversation now um, just because now when I <laughs> say well go to the physio I can be a bit more like you know they are just there to guide you but at the end of the day you you still need to take on board the recommendations and do the shit they tell you to do otherwise you know you'll you'll never get anywhere <laughs> yeah exactly and and the other thing is that like when you do, as you're saying, like you, you, you give them all the, the, the tools and, and the tricks to get through it. I think the other side of the coach then is, is making little tweaks and stuff. But you can only make those tweaks when someone has tried it out. So, you know, like mm-hmm. it's like if you go to physio and say, oh, it didn't work, but you didn't do the exercises and then you go back the next time and the physio then is kind of under pressure to start making tweaks and changes as opposed to telling you, well, just go back and do the same, like do the exercises this time <laughs> as opposed to not doing it and coming back and looking for something new. Because that's what a lot of people, I think we're, we're too... In, we're inclined to look for the new all the time and the nuance. And I think that's what causes us to get stuck in these uh, in these kind of loops or, or, or ruts, I guess. But mm. with what you said, though, I, a lot of people, when they go to physio, they do probably get underserved in in what, yeah, what they get back from physio, I would say. Because a lot of times you're, you go, you get your massage, you get your dry needle and stuff like that. And then if you show to the physio that that's something that, okay, right, I got a lot of benefit from that they might just subconsciously put more effort into that, more emphasis mm. on that the next round. And it's kind of, because when you look at private physio, private and public is different. Public, you get like six sessions in, right. in, in Ireland anyway. I think the NHS is, is similar. Um, you get like six sessions with the physio, so they can make changes. But in private, they have to show improvement every time. When you go into the physio, they have to show that you improved. Because if you leave and you're just paying your 50 pounds each time that you go in, you're at a, at a certain stage, if it's not improving, you're going to be like, okay, well, there's no point to go into this anymore. So there is, there is definitely a battle with private physio that they have to show some bit of improvement every session. Well, if you come to me, it's it's so much nicer because I decide to people, I only take people on for 12 weeks or 24 weeks or a year long, like, because I only deal with chronic injuries. If you sprain an ankle, you probably don't come to me first half. Mm. But if you sprain an ankle and it's still there a year later, that's when you start to come to me a small bit more. That's kind of the people that are inclined to, to come to me because... I can say, we're going to do this for 12 weeks or we're going to do this for 24 weeks because there's certain things that we have to figure out and I'm going to keep you accountable in that time. But with private physio, you go, it doesn't work in three sessions, you change physio. 
you change mm. you go you go to a chiropractor you go to a bone sitter, whatever it is left you go to all these different things to try them out and then you say nothing marked that's the big issue that you run into I think it's and like I guess it kind of applies to all contexts. Like for me, I, I do run a six week program, but the program isn't like, okay, you're gonna lose six kilos in six weeks. Like my program is about really building the foundations and teaching them, okay, this is actually what it takes to lose fat. Um, and then I don't give any time frame or promise any time frame because at the end of the day it's so individual for everyone. It's the exact same for your clients and with their injuries and pain. Like you can't just say, Okay, in twenty four weeks we're going to have this all sorted for you. You have no clue because one, you don't know if they're actually going to apply the shit that you tell them to do and you don't know how their body will respond, you know, to your recommendation. So, um, and like we were saying a bit earlier, like, you know, when people don't see those, that instant fix if they go to physio or, you know, it's not all like kind of solved. They're like, okay, well, what else should I do? And it's like, well, no, you, you need to keep doing the basics. You need to keep doing the same thing. Yes, it's freaking boring. And that's why people give up on these things so quickly because they don't get that instant gratification of like, you know, the problem being solved. They're not patient enough. Um, so then they think, okay, it's not working. Let's do something else. It's like, And they don't want to hear that they have to continue and continue and continue to do it because it takes too long and they just want to see yeah. results straight away. So, yeah. yeah. That's why those skinny tees work so well now, like skinny <laughs> tees and all those little kind of weight watchers things that's how i can imagine that's why because they yeah. promise people big change so fast which mm. everyone knows is unrealistic it's unrealistic to keep to sustain it let's say yeah i can imagine it's the same in your industry as it is in mine and that's the thing and it's a bit like like the thing the way that i speak to my clients is that at the end of the day this sounds a bit corny but like if i like if there was a genie in a bottle and it gifted them that 10 kg weight loss that they wanted that's all sweet but they've got no fucking clue on how to maintain it so they might have that weight loss but they're going to regain it anyway because they've not had to go through the process in order to learn how what it actually takes to be able to maintain that weight and i guess that's a bit similar to like you know with the the injury and the pain like yes it's 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 probably a bit de- like debilitating for some people but unless you learn like you know, what things work, what don't, um, and how to manage that, then that pain will continue to come back and back and back. And um, and that's the boring reality of it that nobody actually yeah. wants to hear. Yeah. And it, that that is in the case in, in like, let's say the skinny T version of, of physio is painkillers. Like painkillers are such a, uh, they're such a quick fix and they mm. create such a problem because every single time, like, I don't know how many people, and I, I empathize with it because I don't know how many, let's say, mothers come to me and they just take painkillers because they're like they're trying to keep a family going. You know, they're taking care of people around them. There's, there's, so they just need to get rid of it quickly for now while they get through the day because while they bring their son to school or while they bring their daughter to, to gymnastics, they take the painkillers and they let it. And then what it does is it masks the symptoms for mm. a couple of hours. And then they get home and then they have a couple of hours in the evening. They might have to do cooking or whatever. They have to kind of get everyone ready for bed and get up the next day and it becomes a cycle then that the next day they wake up and they know the painkillers fixed them the day before but so they take them again and that goes on for five months six months at a time and oftentimes those painkillers become stronger and stronger and you get to the point that people are taking like a very strong painkiller called called tramadol mm-hmm. and if you start taking tramadol consistently you will become like a for lack of a better word you become a dope You'd be mm. just, you'd be doped going around all the time. You'd be very kind of, you'd be all over the place. You'd be confused and it happens and people don't realize it. The amount of people that have come to me that had to be like, okay, well, it got to the point where I was taking extremely strong painkillers and nearly every single day. 
and at, at a certain stage i wasn't really living my life i was just getting through the day I felt like a a robot nearly. so yeah it is it is it, at the start obviously you can you can mask the issue and it's a quick fix mm. but it down the line it becomes more of a problem and you just i just i was always people or always say to people to err on the side of caution with that it's better to lean into the pain a small bit and kind of get an understanding of it than it is to just mask it and wait for it to become a bigger problem or to create other coping strategies that are not effective I think, and it's important to know, and this probably happens to a lot of people, that they'll use the whole excuse, either age or whatever it is. And then because they're like, potentially the pain hasn't been like extreme to the point of completely impacting their life on a day-to-day basis, they, they kind of build up a threshold and get used to it. And then they just feel like, or they say, well, this is just what life is like. But the reality is, is that you're not like, it's not normal to be in pain all the time. So, you know, getting the right help and not necessarily taking the painkillers just to mask the issue, but actually trying to dig down deep and find out what potentially the root cause is and how you can manage it. That's what should be done. But I think in today's society, because of like just the way we live such a fast paced life, I think um, pain and just lower back pain, knee pain, whatever it is, it's become the normal to have. And I think potentially as you get older, that's an excuse, but it's not normal to have. Like, so it's like you know, trying to stop going for maybe like that quick fix of the painkillers just to get through another day. And like you said, leaning into the pain a bit, which is uncomfortable. But I mean, shit like this is going to be uncomfortable until you finally get to the root cause of it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you kind of have to choose your, you kind of pick your poison. Would you prefer to be in a bit more pain for today and then not have it all the next week? Or would you prefer to have this kind of annoying background pain all of the time? And I think that what you mentioned there about the root cause of pain, the the interesting thing about pain is pain is, it's so much, well, it's extremely complex, but it's very easy to understand if you look at it in terms of pain is just a warning sign of your body. You can get a load of pain and not have any injury. Like 95% or 96% of nonspecific low back pain has no physical injury to it. And that's what the research is looking at. So, and then you have that 5% that people have other things like fractures and compression issues and stuff like that, osteo. That's right. It's different things that, that, that are going on at the same time. But in general, if you're looking at 95 to 96% of people don't have, don't have a physical injury, what actually drives the pain? Well, it's your nervous system that drives the pain. And your nervous system picks up a lot of stuff around it. I always use the analogy that if you are walking at nighttime, and I'm sure everyone can relate to this, and there's a piece of Lego on the ground, and you step on the Lego, or something that you didn't see, it feels like you stepped on a sharp piece of glass. And your body gives you a pain of 10 out of 10. It's like 9 out of 10, like you jump off the ground. Mm. But if the next day you threw that piece of Lego down the ground, you looked at it, you walked over, you stepped on it, it would be minimal discomfort. It'd be like Mm. a 1 out of 10 pain. So what's the reason that we have a 10 out of 10 one one day and it's a 1 out of 10 the next? And it's because your body has to perceive what's going on in its environment, in the environment, and it gives you pain as a result of that. So the way to think about it is that you haven't, you can't see it at night. You're not, you're, obviously your visual field is, is cut off because it's dark out. You don't know where you're going. You don't know if it's a, a nail or a sharp piece of glass that you sit on. So your body just reacts as crazy as it can to give you as much pain as possible so that you can, you get off it as quick as you can. Simple as the next day you can see it. So it knows what the thread is and then you step on it and it doesn't become a problem. The reason I use that analogy is you need to understand that your pain is completely dictated by your consciousness and your your body and how it reacts to its environment now i'm going down a hole here so stop me at any stage (laughs) this is what we're here for but so your body is always kind of understand trying to pick up these little cues in your environment 
and as a result it, it generates more pain so if you if you and this comes back to everything if you sprain your ankle and you hear a crack in your ankle you're going to have higher pain than if you sprained your ankle and you didn't hear a crack mm. you know it's there's loads of things that come into that and when you get what happens is that when you start to fear pain then as well your nervous system starts to get heightened and heightened and heightened so that when you come back to that idea of 95 percent of back pain has no physical cause what happens is you look at the bio or biological that a lot of people aren't moving enough you know they're mm-hmm. sitting down all day and they're not moving enough and they're not exercising in the evening so that's the biological the psychological is that if you look uh, and you consider what's the most debilitating injury in your body is a spinal cord injury so obviously if your back gets injured you're going to be good that you won't be able to move um, and obviously you'll be disabled as a result so that's a huge thing in the back of people's mind that we don't understand and then if you look at the social which is like how our environment and the people around us perceive back pain how many manual handling courses are there like mm-hmm. how many times do you see people with back braces how many times do you hear people say watch your back be careful of your back so all of these things are fed into the consciousness and fed into your nervous system and your body starts to pick all those up and depending on what type of a person you are and your coping strategies and how resilient you are at different times of your life and then all the other factors of your sleep and your hydration and all that so there's a lot more to it <laughs> and how, with all that and when that all comes into play that's why 95 percent of people have back pain or that's why 95 percent of back pain has no physical injury and it's more of a neurological issue where it's mm. your body reacting to its environment and it's reacting to what you think is going on what you have seen in the past and obviously you not moving and you not being active and that's why people have a lot more back pain but there's no injury at all is it's it just because of all this. is it do you do you think physically they have a lot more back pain or it's because what they're creating in their head they're making it a bigger than maybe what it actually is yeah it's it see this is the one that you kind of have to tread lightly on because yeah. uh it's it's a the case is that it's not at a certain stage your nervous system gets really really good at picking up on the triggers so you physically have the pain in your nervous system or neurologically let's say as opposed to physically so you actually have the pain there it's like um it, it comes back to that it comes back to the same idea of stepping on the lego like it, you're not creating that in your head that's just a reaction of the body mm. when you step on the lego at night it's like oh get off it really quick loads of pain so it's not as much of a and the other thing is when you say that to people they'll say to you well so you're telling me my pain is all in my head yeah <laughs> i'd be like it no but there's a massive element of that you're creating a bit of this pain unbeknownst to yourself which mm. you haven't realized um and it's your reactions like the way people describe pain it, it, they take and you may have saw i put up a video recently about how you take what other people say and you use that to describe your own pain so like i was crippled like i could not think of a worse way to describe pain crippled yeah. in pain like that's the, the worst possible way that you could describe anything when you can really consider the the uh the background of that word like and what what that actually means to people so i think it's a i think yeah in that case it can be it can be dodgy to say it's all in your head but there's an element that of it of it is, that is created and that it feeds into it definitely mm. yeah i like i i would never tell anyone or have an opinion on how much that pain they're feeling but i think it's like well it, it may not be like every situation but obviously there's situations that like in a special emotional situations that we go through where a lot of the time we make a bigger deal in our head than what's actually going on and I'm not saying that pain and injury is like this because everyone's very different but it does come back to what you're saying that yes there there will be physical pain but you know it does come down to like I get the story that you create or the narrative that you create around it as well um 
and actually I saw one of your videos and and I'll be honest I've I've probably been too cautious with clients as well because I I'm you know I, I don't deal with clients with massive back pain or injuries but you know if they say their back sore um, or something like that I saw um, your video and it was about telling people that even if they don't um, have something heavy to pick up still you know kind of do it in like a squat or a deadlift position like being mindful of that where that's not necessarily the case or you don't have to be as precious yeah yeah I think that uh that's why I mentioned manual handling courses I'd go as far to say that manual handling courses are a bigger problem than they're like a fix when it's in because if you look at when back pain started becoming a bigger problem it was in like the 1970s when they started introducing insurance schemes for businesses mm. for for it. so yeah. there's an element of that to it too um, and that's why manual handling courses even though they come in to try fix a problem because they look at it mechanically and they say that okay right there's a mechanical problem and that's the reason for back pain but if we know that 95 percent of back pain there's no mechanical issue there yet you're treating it with this where you're giving you're basically giving people the narratives and you're mm. giving people the narrative of, of how to phrase what's wrong with them and how they got the problem in the first place and they could like this is a, a much deeper subject to, to to dive into and it's probably new to a lot of people listening to it but yeah they do they can create a bigger problem and mm. um, they really can because yeah a lot of people just um like if you bend over and pick up a pencil, if you're squatting down to pick up a pencil, that's a bigger problem because <laughs> that's a bit what weird, it does, I know, you'd be surprised. Honestly, you'd be surprised. People with back pain, like one of the biggest contributors or causes of back pain or let's say risk factors for back pain is fear avoidance behaviors where they're afraid to bend over. Mm. That's ex like that's one of the the top five, let's say, contributors or risk factors for back pain is fear avoidance behaviors. Yet we're giving them courses and telling them to avoid certain ways to lift in every job, yeah, any physical job anyway. So it's you're kind of like even though your the intention is right, the you're you're creating more of a problem. Mm. I yeah I get that, but I think that's about like everything now. It's like so everyone's gonna be so cautious of everything because bloody you, you know next week you know someone's suing someone for the slightest thing and like you can understand why you know, companies or like these things have been created because we live in a bloody precious world now. I think yeah. it's a bit, I, I don't know. Sometimes I think, God, just, this sounds really bad, <laughs> but sometimes I think just harden up a bit, you know, like, yeah, yeah I know that sounds the, quite harsh, but really. <laughs> in, in the nicest way though, like in the nicest way, I think that some people, there's a, there's a cohort of people that definitely need to hear that. They mm. definitely need to hear like it, it doesn't apply to everyone because some people like and, and the way their situation is but like you don't if you're going to live your life rubble, or wrapped in bubble wrap you're going to be in trouble like I heard someone say recently they were like how do you find it was they were talking about people getting offended and it was like uh, how do you find that to be offensive to this minority or whatever it was in the crowd and uh, your one goes you one just said life's hard get a helmet and I was like mm. that's a great <laughs> that's a great way of putting it on it or kind of phrasing it or, or, or a kind of a nice picture to paint because a lot of people yeah it's it's easier to instead of taking responsibility yourself they're putting it on other people to fix their issues all the time and this comes back to the, the physio issue of going to the physio and expecting them to fix you is like you can do you can go anywhere you can you can you can go to anyone you like but if you're not going to do the work yourself mm. it's never going to come back and it's the same thing if you're going to start getting if everything in your environment affects you it's not you can't change your environment or you can change like grand if you're going out all your friends are going out drinking every weekend you can change your friend group you can mm -hmm. change that environment but you can't keep changing the environment and keep 
blaming other people for your problems because it becomes a bigger problem then. And then any little thing that goes wrong becomes a massive problem. And you're always living this life then of fear and this kind of life of anxiety of you don't want anything to go wrong and you're worried about everything. You're anticipating stuff to, to, to affect you negatively. And yeah, there's a lot more to that. I feel like than an hour podcast to, to yeah. dive into it. But uh, it, yeah, it's an interesting one. I do think the same though. I, I don't, I think more people need to take more responsibility for their own actions and their own, like their health and the things that they want to do. Um, because it is easy to go, you know, you think pay someone and they'll fix your problems for you, but it, it doesn't work like that, unfortunately. Um, but that is like, it's hard. It's hard to kind of take ownership for, you know, yourself. And um, I guess changing the mindset around that as well. Um, but in terms of like, changing the narrative around just say someone having you know or someone who says I've always had a weak lower back or I've always had um, back problems like what can you if someone listening to this right now potentially relate relates like how can you change the narrative so that maybe they can come away from pinpointing that that's just what they're going to be like for the rest of their life yeah it's a it's a good question. How would you change the narrative that people have? Because narratives come off beliefs um, and they work like they work in conjunction with each other. The words that you use, the language you use kind of forms the beliefs that you have. Uh, and obviously the people and the information that you take in forms the beliefs that you have as well. Um, but what you're looking at in that situation is you have to try to break that belief because it's a limiting belief in a lot of cases. Yeah. If you feel that you're back, you have a bad back because your family had a bad back, does that mean that you just not do anything going forward because you're just destined to have it anyway? Or does it mean that you take the responsibility to work on it? And you look at it in different situations. I think uh, when people say I have a bad back, and this is it's so common, it's like, or I can't do things because of my back. I always try to make it a bit more objective because that's a subjective saying. Like, that's obviously subjective. I have a yeah. bad back. But like, when does that affect you? Does it affect you when you go for a walk? Does it affect you when you do RDLs? Does it affect you if you do a deadlift? Can you go for a hike? Are you able to go for a run? Can you play paddle? Can you play tennis? Are you able to do jiu-jitsu? Whatever it is, there's so many different options for different things you can do. Does it hurt you in every situation? Because I think if you want to change that narrative and change that belief, you have to be a bit more specific on it. Because mm. saying I have a bad back is, but it's, I was going to let off, it's a bad yeah. thing to say. Yeah. <laughs> it's a bad thing to say because it, it, you're not giving yourself a chance. It's like saying that, um, it's like saying I'm, what's a good, I'm bad at making videos, do you know, because both of us work online. But mm -hmm. have you tried to make videos? Have you studied how to improve making videos? You know, it's like you're not bad at making videos. There's just certain elements of it that you need to improve on. Yeah. Obviously, that's a very specific example. But an example that applies, once you get an understanding of, okay, well, I know if I run 5K, my back kicks up. Perfect. We can work with that. Like, mm. let's, let's fix that. Let's go to 3K first and see how you feel. Then we go to 4K. That's a lot more objective. Well, we can fix that. So I think when you're looking to change those narratives, which are subjective, you need to look at objective measures first and see how you can build on those. And then you look at the subjective. So it's like, okay, well, let's change some of the language that you're using around that. Like even that, that Carol Dweck um, idea of a growth mindset and putting the word mm. yet at the end of a sentence, like just simple things like that. I, I can't run yet. Like that makes it so much more manageable, so much yeah. more achievable. Because it's ju you just literally have to run once and then be like, oh, I can run now. Like, it's not that much. <laughs> you know, it's, it's a simple yeah. thing to break. So it's kind of using that and then trying to interject, uh, maybe is the, is the right word, or inject, I guess, certain elements that there are certain 
words that they can use that will help them form better sentences that will improve their narrative and then will improve the language that they use and how they describe the area. But that has to be backed up by some type of objective measure. You can't just say, I'm the strong, like I'm really, really strong and never go to the gym or never test that because you have, you're just saying, that's just a, an ego building it up. Yeah. You, you've, you've nothing to back that up. And confidence comes with little achievements, I feel. Oh, a hundred percent. I think that's like anything. Um, and I, I like the whole growth mindset versus fixed mindset thing. Like I'm, I, I love like um, self-development books and things like that, because I think that when you can control your mind, um, you can do anything. Do you know what I mean? Or you can at least give it a go and not have those limiting beliefs holding you back because that's literally just what they are, um, limiting beliefs. And I think so many people don't end up, you know, fulfilling their true potential because they've created this story in their head that they can't do something without any actual kind of facts to say they can't do it. And like when you say, you know, when people say, oh, I have a bad back, that just blanket coats everything as if, well, everything that everything they do is going to hurt their back so they can't do anything. It's like, well, like you, you said, you need to be specific about there's obviously certain things that do hurt your back or don't hurt your back. Um, and the things that do hurt your back, then I guess it's a case of potentially working with someone and learning how to manage them or learning at what point does your pain kind of, I guess, kick in to make you feel scared and then hopefully trying to come up with some sort of solution. But like I said, if you if you say you have a bad back or you can't do this, like straight away, when you say the word can't in your mind, to me, I feel like can't's quite a negative word. And I feel like it just shuts off everything in your brain and doesn't make you want to try because you, you've got that yeah. belief that, well, you can't do it. Um, and I guess it's just like anything. Like, you know, when you start something new or like sometimes I'll have, again, I guess it comes back to the physio side of things when they go a couple of times and nothing changes. Like if clients, I've given recommendations and the clients are saying, oh, I haven't seen results X, Y, and Z. I'm like, well, have you done this? And they're like, oh yeah, for a couple of days. I'm like, well, you're not going to lose weight in three days, love, off a calorie deficit. Okay. I don't say it like that. Okay. And my (laughs) clients will be listening to this, but sometimes like, I'm like, it takes time four, eight, 12 weeks to see any change on the scale. But that's also from you being consistently in a deficit. That's not you being in a deficit three days a week and then freaking going to town on the weekend. Um, and that happens over time. But again, it just comes back to people being a bit unpa- impatient. Yeah, yeah. And I think it, like in the same in the same situation of, of what you're dealing with, uh, and because I like I I started off at working in gyms and stuff like that up along. So I've a bit of experience in that area as well. In that a lot of people would say, this isn't working for me. But when you really break it down for them and you look at what they were doing, they may in their head have been telling themselves they're doing everything right. It's like, oh, I haven't like calorie counting. It's like, oh, yeah, I've been counting my calories. And then you say, okay, well, let's actually track all your calories for a week. And let's be honest about tracking your calories. And then you'll see, okay, well, there was a little can of Coke that you snuck in there that you didn't put in your calorie. That you didn't put in there. There was was little things that you snuck, but you just, because it's like uh it's a confirmation or it's a bias towards like you want to show that you're doing the right things and you want to show to yourself you're doing the right things, but you're still making decisions that aren't aligning with that. And you're kind of on that point between like, do I tell the person that I'm doing that Mm -hmm. or do I kind of just keep that to myself because it's not a big issue. And I think that's a big thing as well is that people need to, when you look at that, if you're looking at the change, being honest with yourself, is huge. Like when someone comes to me and say, and they say, I have a back flare up. Uh, I can't do anything. I was in, I was bedridden for three days. And then I'll start to, oh, geez, oh, geez, that's awful. We'll start talking about it then. And I'll be talking to them. And then they will tell me what they did. I went to the shop. 
I brought my kids here. I did this. I was like, so I know you use that narrative, but that's not what happened. <laughs> Do you know, like, and you're telling yourself that. And the thing is that when you tell yourself that I went to bed for three days and I was bedridden, I couldn't do anything. Just think of the next time that you go get pain because of the narrative that you've told yourself before that you're bedridden for three days, even though that wasn't exactly right, because you still do do all these little jobs and you told me you did all these jobs. So I know because of that fact, the next time you get a small bit of pain, you're belief is that this pain is going to keep you in bed which is going to drive your fear through the roof which is going to make you so like which drives fear avoidance behavior so you're not going to move you're not going to do anything else around to try fix it because you don't want it to get as bad because you've given yourself a story that didn't realistically happen and now you're sticking to that story Mm. so it, it becomes a that becomes a problem that wasn't exactly right because you still do do all these little jobs and you told me you did all these jobs so i know because of that fact the next time you get a small bit of pain, your belief is that this pain is going to keep you in bed, which is going to drive your fear through the roof, which is going to make you so like, which drives fear avoidance behavior. So you're not going to move. You're not going to do anything else around to try fix it because you don't want it to get as bad because you've given yourself a story that didn't realistically happen. And now you're sticking to that story. Mm. So it, it becomes a, that becomes a problem for people as well as like trying to correct the narratives of describing what happened to them. A lot of times as well, Sorry, not to go on a, a side thing. A lot of times when people are in pain, it's a call for help. Like that's, mm-hmm. that's really what it is. It's the, it's, it is in a lot of cases, it's a call for help. They want someone to listen to them. So like there's a, when people come to me with pain, especially if a friend just texts me and says like, oh, I have a knee issue. Like a friend texted me there recently and uh, he said, um, oh, I, I have a, my knee just kicked up out of nowhere. I haven't done anything. I haven't changed anything. And I was like, okay, well, obviously I know there's an emotional element to this. And I knew at the time, that he's going through, let's say, a, a thing in his relationship that he's looking at, like maybe splitting up with the girlfriend and stuff like that. So I know there's a lot of stress around it. So I, I just basically, I just jumped on a call with him to just chat to him about other things. There's not really, you can't fix these things in the moment. Yeah. I just basically said to him, okay, right, it's going to take two days, three days to calm down. Don't change anything. Keep doing what you're doing. Kind of manage the pain, just lean into it. Do a couple of light exercises and take care of your head. Go out for a walk, do a bit of training do little simple things. It's, if, I would say if I was putting a statistic on it of the pains that people get, I'd say 99% of pains are emotional mm. of, of everyone's because how many times do you just sit at, you're sitting at a desk and you start getting this neck pain out of nowhere or a back pain out of nowhere, but you haven't changed anything. So it's 99 is obviously a big stat, but mm. the, of the of the little pains that people get here and there, it's emotional. It is emotional. I I believe that and um, I think this may kind of correlate but it's like I've had it multiple times where I've worked and worked and worked long hours just trying to get shit done and then suddenly I wake up and I'm sick as a dog or like something you know what I mean and I know that that's like my body telling me that you need to slow down or something needs to change like because like you said when you get a pain or you are ill or something flares up in your body, that's not normal. That is a physical sign that there's something not right here and that it has to change. Um, but again, I think for us, we're coaches. So I guess a lot of like why we think the way we think is because of the job we do and we have to think on those type of like that, on that side of thing. But for every Joe Blow who's got a bloody corporate job, working loads of hours, got a family, life's chaotic having a sickness or having an illness or pain is like just the norm and they just got to kind of get through it. And it's like, well, no, you need, 
And I think it's about creating awareness around, which again, because we live in such a fast paced world, people don't feel like they have the, well, they don't reflect, they don't stop and pause and kind of recognize how they're feeling, you know, physically, but also emotionally. And then it just, that's how things build up. And that's with, I guess, when it becomes chronic pain is that those small little niggles, small little pains, you know, every single day. And then suddenly, bam, hit hit you out of nowhere, but not really, because you've been dealing with this pain that's absolutely not normal. And yeah, it's weird. Definitely. No, definitely. And the thing is that like every single time you get these little pains, like you'll often hear people say, it started here, it started in my neck and now it's gone to my shoulder. Now it's gone into my full arm. And it's like, okay, well, we're either dealing with a pretty serious issue here, like that it's more of a significant issue, or we're looking at like a, a, just a overall hypersensitivity of the nervous system. Mm. Like the, the, and the majority of the time it's the hypersensitivity because you made a point there just so I can remember really quickly. It was on, I was talking about the narratives that people talk or tell themselves and you were saying like something small comes in, it starts kicking up and they start to get these little pains and then bang, it kicks, it goes off out of nowhere. But every time you get those little pains, that basically ramps your system up a small bit mm-hmm. more. And if you don't take care of the thing in the background, like the sleep and the, the your hydration and all those, you're going to start giving yourself a narrative of what that pain is. Yeah. Well, that neck pain there is because I tweaked it yesterday when I was opening a drawer or I, I was turning something. That's because of that. And then the next day it's, oh, I did this. I opened the door of the car too fast. Or I was in the gym and I was doing, you know, pick an exercise is what they'll do. This is so common. I was doing a bent over row and that caused all the pain. Well, mm. how many times have you done bent over rows before that? And did that contribute to the pain? May have and may not have, but a lot of times it's like the straw that breaks the camel's back. Mm. And it's the, it's the bent over row. And now I don't do bent over rows ever again because of that. Like how, like how common working i'm sure you the most common ones i came across in the gym were deadlifts rdls and burpees yeah three that people were people like i don't do those because they're bad for my back why they were probably just a straw yeah they were probably just a straw like the deadlift is the best thing for your back like there can be there's not there's not really many better exercises for your back than the deadlift or rdl but once you start to create these stories around them they become a bigger problem yeah absolutely do you know um so this is something I want to ask. Obviously, you've made the uh, uh, talked about what regular healthcare workers would recommend versus like like for back pain um, versus what you would recommend. Did you want to go into a little bit of that? Because I thought that was quite interesting. Because you're right, like you go to the doctors or something with a bit of pain. All right, here's your medication. Catch you later. In and out, and then it's like yeah. just masking the issue. Yeah. Um. So I guess the, the normal conventional treatment is that you go to the you go to your doctor when you get a flare-up they give you painkillers um oftentimes the doctor will just tell you to rest for a couple of days and in mm-hmm. most cases that actually clears up a lot of things because they were just doing too much and you take your two days off and you're good to go again and um, the, the painkillers are probably unnecessary and um, they just it's become part it's practice at the moment it's like before a couple of years ago they don't do it as much anymore they used to just give antibiotics for every for every illness which was crazy but so they've stopped <laughs> doing that so i'm hoping that um I'm hoping that the, the, the painkillers will be the same thing, but a lot of times people look for a quick fix, so you can't blame that either. Um, my sister's a doctor, so I have to oh. have to air on both sides. Yeah. <laughs> so I, it, so they go, um, they go to the doctor, you get your painkillers, they tell you this, they, and then they'll often say, okay, let's take six uh, courses or six weeks of physiotherapy and try it out. And if you go to your six weeks of physiotherapy and your physio is focused more on giving you short-term relief than long-term relief, because I feel that, okay, this is just a spike in whatever's going on at the time. If we, a little bit of short-term relief, get them moving, it'll help them. 
But if that becomes a six-week thing where you're just getting massages, you're getting dry needling, you might be doing tens, you might be doing ultrasounds, all these kind of adjuncts that are, yeah, that are short-term, mm. let's just say. Um, and then you do a couple of exercises. For back then, you're going to get the bird, you're going to get your cat cow, you're going to do a bird dog, you're going to do a dead bug, um, and probably a glute bridge. Mm. They're probably the four exercises that you're going to get. Um, and in a lot of cases, they're cleared up if someone is like at the exact very low level. But if this is your third time going in for back pain, like that's not going to work for you. Yeah. And if you keep going through the same cycle, what you're going to do then is that you're going to go doctor, physio, and then you'll say, I want an MRI because this is the next big thing. And uh, when you go to get an MRI then and you go into the uh, MRI scan, there's so many normal results on MRIs that are given for back pain, like a bulging disc. I'm sure you know people with bulging yeah. discs. Maybe you've had them had them yourself. Um, a bulging disc is in 30% of people's MRIs without any pain at all. So 30% of people over 30 have a bulging disc. As you get older, 40 becomes higher. It's like 50% of people. And as you get older and older, it becomes, it's because it's normal wear and tear. Mm. But when people attribute pain to a bulging disc, that's like attributing, I, I used to say this, like degenerative disc disease is another big one. That's like seeing somebody with gray hair and saying that with wrinkles is probably a better one and saying degenerative skin disease. You just put a diagnosis um, on a wrinkle. Yeah. It's crazy. And when you give people that story, they mm. will run with it. They will run with it. And they'll say, I have two bulging discs. Now, bulging discs can cause pain if they, if they touch off the nerve. But I have two bulging discs in my neck from doing jiu-jitsu and I, they only flare up when I'm really, really fatigued. Right like really, really fatigued and I pissed off or there's something going on. That's when they flare up. And that's when I start to feel it on my arm. But right now I have 100% movement. I can do whatever I want. I was still training five, six times a week. There was no issue with it. But when it flares up, it's a good sign for me to say, maybe I should pull back on training mm. for a couple of days. You know, as opposed to saying, I need to go to the doctor. I need to get a load of medication and I need a surgery to get these bulging discs, discs fixed. Mm. So they, they'll go to the doctor, they go MRI, they'll get the MRI back. It'll say they have facet joint degeneration. It'll say they have degenerative disc disease, which is in 50% of people over over the age of 25, I think. And then they'll say they have bulging discs. And they will attribute all their pain to that. And then they will go back to the physio and they have a story in their head now that the bulging discs, depending on what they've heard before or different experiences that they've had in the past, whether their father or their mother or their uncle has had bulging discs, mm. They will go off that story. They will see how their uncle got on and they will attribute exactly what that uncle did to what's going to happen to them. So if it didn't work for their uncle, they're going to be in trouble. And they know that they're, they, they feel that they're going to be in trouble. If it did work, it's not that much of an issue. If their uncle got a surgery, perfect. Then it, it works. Mm. If their uncle went to a bone setter and he reset their back, then they're going to go to a bone setter and reset their back. It doesn't make a difference. Whatever their uncle did, they're going to try it mm. because they've heard that story as they were growing up. And then the people around them, their environment, that's why it makes such a difference. And they're going to stick to that story. And if you stick to that story and it doesn't work for you, which in a lot of cases it probably won't because you're not taking care of the foundational stuff, which is your sleep and your hydration and things that manage your pain, then you're going to look for surgery. Yeah. And th that's the path that it goes down. And the thing about surgeries are, the funny thing about surgeries, I recently did a podcast on sham surgeries versus real surgeries. A lot of them only work because you have to do the rehab after Mm. so you still have to do it like rotator cuff surgeries they did it they did a surgery on rotator cuffs and then they did another one on that a fellow just went in put a cut on the area and acted as he did the surgery and when you look at the follow-up for three six and 12 months it's the same results really? for the people who got the rotator cuff surgery when you look at pain and function 
It's the exact same results. So that's the thing is that like going down the line, especially when you're looking at more of the orthopedic surgeries, some of them are more like a last gasp to give people like a, a chance to, to fix it. But I try to, in my approach, I try to just stop it at the start, avoid the painkillers, avoid all these random things, get an understanding of what's going on first. So you understand yourself why why you're getting pain. Mm. This is really, really important. If you can understand why you're getting pain yourself, you can fix it very quickly or you can manage it. You remove all the fear of the pain and you don't give the pain control. And then we start to work on exercises, movements, working back into activity while we'll do all that. But like if you're telling me you're sleeping four hours a night, you're staying up on your phone all night, you're drinking caffeine late into the evening. Like I'll, I'll be 100% honest with you and say until you fix that, there's nothing I can mm. do. Like, and I'll tell you, I'll tell you how to fix it and I'll give you all things. But if you want to keep doing that and doing the other stuff as well, like something has to give. Absolutely. And I think it does. It comes down to the basics. And again, it's because like it's to some people, it's boring. It's your sleep, it's your hydration, it's your nutrition. Like ultimately how you look after your body, like that is going to be the underlying reason why potentially you can, you know, kind of reduce that pain. And I mean, the thing is, I think with any type of like maybe exercise or diet a lot of people look at it as a way to either lose weight or get jacked and it's like well no actually it, it will just generally one hopefully reduce future pains or current pains but like allow you to live a more healthier um independent life without painkillers without having to walk around potentially like with walking sticks or whatever it may be and it's it is as simple as because again when you have like injuries or like for example when you have fat loss goals I mean you think it you th- you think it should be really really complicated what you actually need to do like the foundations of it um because obviously it's hard to lose weight for some people or it's they've had this back pain for so long and it's like well no the basics are quite simple like sleep hydration exercise nutrition and it, that's as simple as yeah. it has to be um sorry i thought it just went then can you still see me no i can i can oh, yeah, yeah sorry yeah, it's- um but it is the basics and the basics are boring. And I always say to my clients, like at the end of the day, whether your goal is weight loss or not, like you should be working on yourself every single day to some degree. And I personally believe you should, you know, it doesn't have to be because you're trying to lose weight, but at the end of the day, you want to be the happiest, healthiest version of yourself. And just like, you know, when, if you get to that weight loss goal, like it takes continuing, continuing to do all those things, continuing to prioritize sleep and water and hydration, nutrition, all through the year, year round for the rest of your life. Like, it's not like you don't just suddenly do these things and you get to your goal and yep, that's it. That's all I have to do. Cause you just go 10 steps back. And, um, I, I think it just seems like a lot of work for some people, but I guess it comes back to choosing your fucking hard. Like yeah. you prioritize <laughs> yeah. a little bit of sleep, eat a few veggies, bit of protein, go work out, which everyone, like no one regrets a bloody workout. You choose that hard. Yeah. Mm. It might be yeah, a bit, you know, you don't have the motivation or 10 years time, you're overweight, you're feeling like shit, your confidence is alone, you got extreme back pain that you've created in your head because you haven't done the basics. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And the thing is that like, when you exactly as you said there, it's you have to look at the longer term goals, it is about quality of life, but it's about longevity as well. Like being able to exercise is people take it for granted mm-hmm. right now. But like, a lot of people lose that lose that ability to exercise as they get older, as they let other parts of their life take priority, which I think is a is a very dangerous way of thinking because it's like you you kind of fall into the trap of not taking care of yourself now. I'll do that later on, mm. and then at a certain stage, it becomes a battle. It becomes an uphill battle. Now it's always 
always achievable. You can always get back from it, but it it does become an ups, upside battle. And even as you said there, like you've, as you were saying with the with the back bend, it's it, it becomes this issue that it's like you've kind of created it yourself. But it's it's that you've created it, but you've the reason you've created it is because you've just had these little habits that have just added up. Mm. You know, it's like it's like you have this pain. It's like, and the thing is that I know I know we we joke and we say that it's it's in your head and it's like that, but the feeling of pain is there. Yeah. There's no question. The feeling of pain is there. Like, and the feeling of pain is in, you have to take care of the nervous system. Like it's, it's, it's so key. If there's one thing that the people were listening to this podcast, I would love them to leave with is that your pain is dictated by your nervous system. If you can take care of your nervous system, you can take care of your pain. And the easiest way to take care of your nervous system is to be confident. Mm. If you are confident in, in situations, your nervous system will be confident that you're controlling it. Like, I know, I know you were asking me about mobility and stuff like that. Like confidence in the nervous system is a really simple thing because it's like, if you, really simple, stress is a perception. Mm. Okay. The idea of stress is your perception of your environment, as you know. So if you walk into a house and there's a dog on the couch, okay, great. If it's your dog, you're like delighted. I can't wait to see that. But if it's a random fucking dog on the couch, <laughs> you're the, the stress, that's way more stressful. Yeah. But the object or the, the animal is the same. Mm. So it's the perception of what's going on around you is really important. And that if you want to, and that's your nervous system obviously reacting and your consciousness reacting to that. But if you want to improve your perception, you have to improve your confidence. Mm. And if you are if you are someone who goes into a situation and let's say you're in a, in, on a street and, and there's a dangerous situation that happens and you have the perception that you can't run or you can't get out of that situation, you have way less confidence in every in every scenario yeah. like right now i i i injured my uh knee a couple of year, a couple of weeks ago in a jiu-jitsu competition and it's funny how much of an effect it has in your mindset because i'm in argentina at the moment so it's it's a it's a beautiful country a great place but it, it's obviously there's obviously aspects of argentina that aren't optimal or that aren't great and there's a, there's a lot of poverty here as well and i found at the start when i was limping around that i was a lot more on edge mm. of my environment because i knew that i couldn't like I would have to either fight out of a situation if something happened because I couldn't run. And I think that that, when you look at that and just take that kind of example and you apply it, it's not, it's my nervous system has understood that I'm, uh, I, I'm injured. So I can't, I don't have my evasive strategies aren't as good. So it has to keep me more on edge. So mm-hmm. the stress increases. So when you take that idea of confidence is, is, is what drives the nervous system and you look at like fat loss and you look at fitness and you look at all these other factors, it's, it's all leading back to having this more comfortable nervous system. I feel one of the most important things, more comfortable and more confident nervous system. And any way that you can do that, where you say, choose your heart, like, do you want everything to be hard or do you want to have these little bouts of high intensity exercise, tough, like tough situations that you put yourself through, like even the idea of ice baths. Why do people love ice baths? Yeah. You're forcing yourself into a situation and you have a lot more control of it. You're putting yourself in a situation and when you come out, it feels great. So yeah, as a, to go off the tangent, I think it comes back to your nervous system and how confident you are. And to have a better quality of life is better to have a, like a better quality of nervous system. Is that even, can you even say yeah. that? I don't know. I mean, that's, that's the way I would look at it. Makes sense to me in like terms of obviously improving that confidence is that a case of like when you say improving your confidence, like for example, what, how did you improve your confidence around your knee when you're in Argentina? Um, well, I think it right now it's, it's the same as any injury. I think, unfortunately I was at a consultant last night. It looks like I probably tore my ACL, uh, which is a balls, but yeah. um, I think uh, right now it's that it's like going to the gym 
And first off, being able to walk mm. properly without crutches, parenting. I never did take the crutches, but being able to walk properly without a limp to show that I'm not weak. I think that's the first thing. Because obviously your appearance is a, is a, is a big part in, in any society. Um, and so being able to do that was a big one. And once I could do that, I was able to manage it better. And now I've been able to get back to the gym and do like squats and lunges and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. I know now that I can kind of stand on my own two feet a bit more. And then the other side of it, this is this is a more, you could even say like an ego-driven side of it, was I can really work on upper body stuff a lot more to give give you your body, obviously, the, the strength and all that. But it, there's the, the strength side of it, but there's the appearance side of it as well. Mm. So there's two sides to it that gives you more confidence in your knee. And then obviously, it's just each day taking off little things. Okay, I, I ran at the gym yesterday. Like I was able to run on the treadmill, stuff like that. Mm. And just being able to take those off each day and get more comfortable in the environment, get more comfortable uh, looking around your environment and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and just being smarter. Did you, so to get to walking without without your crutches, like what did that involve? That would have involved like the little steps, I guess. Yeah, it did. It did. Here's a perfect example of it. And it, it's been nice for, for myself to be able to run, to kind of put my own, uh, what's the word, like live by what I say, mm. is that I never took crutches when I, when I didn't ice it. Don't ice your injuries as well, actually. That's another little one. Don't, Don't icing slows down the recovery. <laughs> Yeah, icing slows the recovery down, but that's another, that can be another podcast. <laughs> um, so when I tore it, um, I stood up and it, the knee just basically slipped out of place. It was a horrible feeling and I knew then that it was gone. So it was grand. I was able to walk. I had to walk to a bus station. Here's another mad thing about Argentina is that there was no paramedics at the competition because there was a petrol shortage at the time. So they couldn't get there. Yeah, I know it was mad. <laughs> So there was no no ice or anything. So I had to walk to the um at the walk to the bus station, which is about a fifteen minute walk afterwards uh, with my with my mate. So that was a great way of of testing it out. Mm. And I knew once I started to walk, this is the thing about pain. Once you start to move into it, it, it subsides because it's not worth your body giving you loads and loads and loads of pain if it doesn't need to give you loads of pain. Mm. So I was walking for about fifteen minutes. I went to a bus. I stood wait for the next one my god at night it was obviously very sore when I got up the next morning it was stiff and sore but I understood the rules of pain I knew that it was everything was going to get sore at the start and then as I moved around I was able to isolate the issue a bit more it's like when you sprain an ankle the whole ankle blows up but the size of the ligament is tiny so as as you move around you'll be able to get your movement back and it'll start to get less painful but as soon as you touch off the injured ligament you're going to get loads of pain Mm. so it's like it's the same idea as what happens to your back where it all gets sore. And then as you move around, you start to figure out where the actual issue is. So I just took the same approach, just started lean, like working around. Once I went into a movement that I knew that's putting a stretch on the ligament that's been injured or that's putting a stretch in the joint, then I was just like, okay, I'm going to have to ease into that a small bit more. And then I, once I knew that I could start taking the stairs and start walking more, it, uh, it made it a lot easier and it builds your confidence. So mm. it's literally just day, step by step, day by day. I thought that was pretty. I I wanted to ask you that because obviously we this we've chatted about you know building your confidence up and not telling yourself that narrative. And I think it was quite um, good that you've just gone through an injury yourself and how you kind of approach it. So that like the things we've talked about about building the confidence and doing the little things and not telling yourself the narrative. Like you, you're a prime example of applying those principles. Yeah, it's uh, I've 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 kind of had to do it because I had a friend arrive here recently um, from Ireland. So like he, he came like maybe three days after the after the tournament. So I've had to show him around the city. <laughs> so I've had to I've had to apply every rule in the book um, and just little simple ones for people. Like when when pain kicks up, like we're sitting here talking, if I got to cross my legs now, 
like it's sore but I can do it by edging into it mm. and then I can lean into it and now it's 100% it is sore at the start but now I'm sitting with my legs crossed and it's not a problem so it's about just kind of ease yourself into it you have to tell yourself that it's okay yeah that's the important thing like if I'm doing that if I did that and I started telling you oh shit, like oh no 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 this is mm. bad this is bad this is bad and I, and I use that and how many people say no 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 this is bad this is bad when you go to do something then the, your body will lock up your body reacts with how you speak and talk so mm. it's going to lock up and get a lot tighter so the simple rules that go a long way breathing if you have a lot of pain extend your exhale just blow out for five seconds instead of yeah. that's a that's a that lift your heart rate but if you instead if you just go because that's about controlling that the nervous system is that is that yeah and being in control exactly because I think that's uh, I mean I've read somewhere that your breath is like I mean this is in any situation you know whether like you're feeling anxious overwhelmed or whatever it is stressed um but at that point in time your breath is probably the at least the one thing that you can control. And I've started, um, you know, if I'm feeling stressed or overwhelmed or randomly anxious, it is actually amazing how like just focusing on your breath, you know, breathing in for four, holding for four, exhaling for four. It's like, do that. I mean, you know, it's not going to solve this issue, but it grounds you because when you're in that state, you can often get a bit like, just like kind of well I know what I'm like I'm just get a bit overwhelmed and then like I start thinking all these fucking negative things and then like suddenly it's got 10 times worse whereas if you just calm yourself and give yourself that space and time to like ground I mean again like I said it's not always you know for everyone but for me what I found is that okay I can think all right it's not as bad as it is like what I thought it was what do we need to do to get this shit sorted yeah yeah and it it is, but your breath, your breathing rate has such an impact on your on your life with everything. Because any any time that like, if you just think of a panic attack and think of sleeping. Panic attack is really short, sharp breaths. Mm. Sleeping is nice, relaxed, slow, slow breathing. So just take that principle and apply it to your life. It's like if you're in a situation that you find yourself, you know that you're preparing for something, you're anticipating something, you're becoming more anxious, and if you can catch yourself doing that in different situations and you can control it you can you can change your perception in different situations and that honestly that's a lot of the stuff that i do with people is like i just want you to do these exercises but i don't care how you do the exercises like they're mobility based ones or movement based ones mm-hmm. i don't care but what i want you to recognize is how your breathing changes as you go into different positions because it tells a lot about how the subconscious reacts to the body mm. this is like um, like if you there you go sorry oh, no, i was no, yeah. I, I was going to say, if you've injured your shoulder before and you go into like an externally rotated position, you're go- and you you're going to you're going to start doing that. Your body will just do it naturally because you've dislocated your shoulder or injured in that position, mm. and it it won't want to give you that range because you've done it before and it doesn't want to do it again. So you have to, and it'll go back. Oh, I got a cramp in my shoulder doing that. But yeah, I had to go back. Do you know what? The other week I freaking sliced my finger on some dumbbells. God knows how. Um, and oh. I thought I just crushed it. I thought I just crushed it. And you know, get up and I was like, fuck, blood everywhere. Okay, it, was, it wasn't It was as bad, but I made it so much worse in my head. Like I just had to get a couple of like material stitches. But I mean, I did also have to get anesthetic. But when it was sore, like I, I focused on my breathing. And like when she had to put the needle in, I was like, breathing the hell out oh. just to try and like chill i mean it's a first world problem you know it, it wasn't as bad as what it could have been but even then i used the whole like inhale hold exhale and it does help slightly so 
it, it really does. It does. It calms it. Every time you exhale, it calms your nervous system. Every time you inhale, it speeds up. Or you, it, calm, it slows your heart rate down. Every time you inhale, it speeds your heart rate up. These? I think is, is I think is the basic. Okay. Yeah. Well, well. That's why heart rate variability makes such a difference as well. It's like, are you are you always is your heart rate always increasing, or is there a nice change between it? Between it. Like, are you is it actually pretty variable or, or pretty variable? Is that the right word? Oh. Yeah. But anyway, does it change a lot, or is it is it consistent? If it's consistent high that's a problem if it's consistently low that's a problem well they they say because like if you're quite fit and active isn't your heart rate supposed to be lower than i don't know someone who doesn't do anything or, yeah or, yeah your resting heart rate yeah yeah or slower or something like that yeah it's a lot less uh yeah it, it is it's like and when you spike it it recovers way faster that's a huge thing so like that's the thing about fitness is that when people go and they start exercising for the first time maybe more people should tell them that like at the start, it's going to take you longer to recover mm. between sets. You know, you're going to be, but that over time, that becomes much easier. There's little things like that that people forget when you're getting back into exercise. It's like, it will improve. It's not all this tough. Yeah. But there's something enjoyable about going through the tough stage. There is something enjoyable about going through the tough stage. I, I think that as well. And I've, I've said this a few times on my podcast. I mean, I, this probably sounds really strange, but I quite like things being challenging and tough for me because I feel like, I mean, at the time, yeah, it could be a little stressful, but I like it because it forces me either to have to learn how to manage a situation or like, you know, really focus or whatever it may be. And then when you kind of overcome that struggle or that tough time or whatever it was, I'm like, I get this really big sense of like self-achievement that I was like, yeah, it was fucking hard, but I didn't like succumb to the stress or overwhelmed. I just focused figured out what I had to get done, got it done, and then you feel 10 times better. I know that sounds really weird because obviously a lot of people don't want things to be hard, but I feel like I learn the best when you come up against those things. And then next time it happens, because it no doubt will, because that's freaking life. You're like, right, In- this has happened. I know how to deal with it. And then you're on to the next thing. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's it, it's based a lot off of your, it, like, I know we've been talking about foundation a lot, but even if you go, like, if you go even further back and you look at people's lives from like, and you take kind of a, a 50,000 foot view of, of their lives, like people who've had, depending on the life and the childhood that you've had is obviously going to dictate a lot of the, the reactions and the way that you're, yeah, the reactions that you have to situations as you get older, I think. Um, and that's something that I really had to come to learn is I, I used to be like to people like it's, a, and then remember people telling me that like when I was 11 years old, um, I was abused and stuff like that by, mm. by like father, by whoever it was. And it really, I really had to take a step back then and be like, okay, right. If that's the case, then people improve in different ways. Yeah. And definitely people have a breaking point as well. Like if you, if you push someone there, they're like, no, fuck it. Like, mm. I'm going to eat whatever I want. I'm going to do whatever I want. Uh, and it's more like a reaction. But if you're able to get to the point, I feel that you can just get there. And then you can control that reaction when you know it's going to go off just as the same point as what you were saying there about like how that then like afterwards you feel so much better. You feel like you're the hero of, of your own story. Mm-hmm. You feel like you're, you have the strength to do whatever you want. Um, and I, I think in the, I, that was a big learning situation when I was working with people that I was like, when I, once I got to know their background and it was like, okay, it wasn't the same as what my background was that I was like, there's different breaking points. You don't want to go through the breaking. You don't break the breaking point, mm-hmm. but you want to be damn well close to it if you want to make a lot of improvement. Yeah, and I, the closer you can get to that and control it, the better. And I think that's important. That like, and with the people that I work with, is that I never. I'm not someone who has like 
you have the basics of you know protein steps all that shit but I don't even in my program say okay this is exactly what everyone's going to do like everyone will fill in like an onboarding form even though it's a group program and um I ask them specific questions about their current diet and exercise and that and then I I will create the habits based on what I think like for example someone may need to work on literally everything but I'm not going to give them seven to ten habits when they've already been struggling with weight loss their whole life because that will be fucking Mm. overwhelming I'm going to give them three low hanging fruits where like maybe water or a walk where they think okay this is actually achievable I can do it and then I guess it's that sense of building the confidence up when you when you can tick those things off you kind of start uh, and I think it's the whole belief in yourself of being able to do something or being able to like I recently um had a message from one of the ladies on my program and she said like it was a really tough week um you know with food and exercise and stuff she's like but I still end up doing it and she said I'm actually starting to believe that I can do this and like for me like I know I, I sell women weight loss right because that's what they think they want but that, it, that I go way beneath like way above that because yeah. I think it comes down to like your mindset your relationship with yourself like your own limiting beliefs and um, sometimes you just need someone to believe in you and give you that first little push and then it's like kind of stems on from there yeah that's a great point like it is it is sometimes that's it's when you don't believe in yourself it is that you need someone else to, to believe in you and to kind of give you the little push along the way uh, and as you say there like it is all you need to do is create a bit of momentum mm. like when you look at making any change obviously we're talking about going to the just to the breaking point and, and like making sure that's how you improve but if you find little things that you weren't good at yesterday and you're able to improve, I always say that to people like if you can, let's not try fix the flare up that you're getting in your back today. Like, let's see what we can do today. That's going to help you tomorrow. Mm. And if we can look at like 1% improvements every day, that's a very, very simple way of, of making long-term gains. Hundred percent. That's literally what I say. I'm like, even if it's like just 1%, 1% is 1%. Like, do you know what I mean? And at the time yeah. it doesn't. And that again, it comes back at the time. It doesn't seem like much, but Add, add that up over weeks and months and then I think that's why I always say to my clients is like do not focus on the outcome like whatever that outcome is because you cannot get to that outcome without the process and the process involves focusing on your day-to-day habits because if you just focus on that end goal like you won't get there because you can't just focus on it and then you're there it's like all these little one percent things that you do every single day at the time you think oh it's not really count for much and then suddenly three months later you're like holy shit like i can't believe i'm here yeah and there's a lot lot to be said for focusing on the on the process as opposed to the goal i know people always say oh enjoy the journey and it's like cough like i'm here at at five o'clock in the morning before work i have to get work i have to get workouts and i have to pick up my kids like it's not a journey. I'm not enjoying this right now, <laughs> but it's that uh, it is. If you focus too much on the goal, it becomes a uh, like once you get there, everything falls apart. Mm. It's the easiest way. To, it's like that Olympic depression of after people go to the Olympics. Uh, there's a really good stat on it. I don't want to throw out a random statistic, but it's a fairly high percentage of people that uh, that get depression after the Olympics, mm. especially after winning gold, um, because of the fact that they have no other, they have nothing to chase now, yeah. and they need that purpose and they need that. So it's like focus on the process of it because it's a lot more achievable to continue doing the process than it is to just hit the goal. Now, the goals are obviously important along the way. Like I use the goal of a 5K. I have a course out at the moment that I help people to get back to, with back pain, to get back to running. And I use the goal of a 5K to do that because it's so simple to say, I wasn't here and now I can run a 5K. So now I have the identity of a runner and I can continue pushing on and I can continue doing other things. Um, But a lot of people, yeah. 
I, I think, but in the course, the main focus is these are the habits mm. that we need to continue doing. This is the goal that we're chasing. Once we get to this goal, don't worry, it's going to be a 10K. We're going to get consistent park runs. We're going to do other things like that. But um, yeah, I think it's important to focus on the process because it has the biggest impact overall. 100%, I agree. Um, did you want to, well, one, I want to say, like, I really enjoyed this conversation. I've learned so much, hey. I don't feel like such a bloody idiot now. Just, and especially <laughs> when you mentioned the whole MRI thing and you can have bulging discs and it actually not be like necess- I don't know if the right word's bad but do you know what I mean it, it doesn't have to be like a bad thing or a cause of pain I thought that was quite interesting because so many people you know they'll use and again it, it could potentially have some impact for some people but yeah I just it, yeah no good good I, I'm happy that uh, I'm happy that, uh, that, that it, I really enjoyed the podcast as well I thought it was a, it was an excellent way of of kind of hashing out ideas and and we're working with the same a lot of the same populations as well so we can we understand some of the obstacles that that they're they're running into um but yeah the bulging discs one is mm. a huge one like like as i said like i have two in my neck right now but i have nothing i have no issues at all in any range but if i go and i have been out with jiu-jitsu because of my knee injury but if i go back to jiu-jitsu i know that the first place if i don't take care of everything else that's going to kick up mm. is that obviously my knee but it, it's gonna but once i start taking care of everything else i kind of build into it that doesn't become an issue. And then in a few months' time, they'll be healed. They'll go back in and it won't be an issue because they do. They pop out and right, they go in. Yeah. That's just the way, that's the way it works. But if you stop everything and you say, I have a bulging disc, you give yourself a nice label and commit to that label for the next 15 years and see where you're at. So, Not so. a good place. <laughs> it's a da- yeah, it's a dangerous yeah. label. It's a dangerous um, label. Did you want to like tell people where they can find you? And also, like, wh- do, is it like one to one that you offer? Because you also talked about your um, helping people get back to running as well. What do you kind of offer for your clients the, or services? Yeah, so um, I guess uh, anyone who's interested or has any questions at all, just reach out to me. Uh, even if you have a question of you've you, you've had an issue that's kicking up or flaring up uh, on Instagram at Mobility Tutor. Um, and I also have a podcast called Rebalance where I talk about these chronic issues in more detail and how to fix them. Um, and that's on everything, Spotify and iTunes and YouTube and all that. Um, and otherwise, uh, I do have a course out at the minute. Um, I'm not taking on as many people one-to-one, but if you reach out and it's the, it's the right time and everything because I'm pretty full at the moment, um, I, we, we can chat about it. But I have a course, Spiner Initiative. You can check it out at www.spinerinitiative.com. And it basically helps you go from zero exercise or wherever you're at at the moment. It teaches you all the stuff that we talked about on the podcast about like why MRIs don't make a difference. Um, and it teaches you about confidence and identity as well as like all the foundational stuff and sensitivity and all the back pain. And then it takes you to get back to running a 5K. I'm going to be opening up a cohort in, in January that I'm going to take on people um, who are dealing with this and need extra help. And I'm going to do it in a group. So, so like we're going to get a lot of people together. We're going to start all the course in like the second week of January and we're going to run through it um, and I'll be there on calls. But if anyone wants to get started right away, you can just download it at spineinitiative.com. Awesome. Well, like I said, yeah, honestly, thank you so much for your time. Like, I, I really enjoyed this conversation. I've learned so much and um, I'm probably end up listening back to it. And I also told, told my clients we were going to re- be recording it. So they're keen to have a listen as well. Good. Yeah. Um, yeah thank you very much, Chelsea, for, for having me on. I really appreciate okay. it. Um, Excellent yeah, podcast. Yeah, awesome. Um, well, enjoy the sun, enjoy the heat while we're here in the UK. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Coming into the right time of the year down here, but yeah, you're going back to Australia yourself, so you're not going to miss Thank it too much. Christ, I cannot wait, hey, like yeah. we said. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I'm sure hopefully we can connect again and do another podcast. Um, 
and I'll, I'll drop you a message after this but like I said honestly thank you so much I found it very helpful and I'm sure anyone listening to this will and like just shoot Robbie a, a message if you have any questions about anything because god you know your shit don't you oh Jesus well at least I'll hopefully be able to point you in the right direction where if you, if you have any questions on internet at all but thank you I appreciate it awesome that. all right I'll talk to you soon eh bye see ya